0: Welcome. You are listening to the Conservation Stories podcast, connecting listeners to nature through inspirational personal narratives from diverse voices in conservation. This is Robert Rose, and I am a conservation geographer and the executive director of the Institute for Integrative Conservation at William & Mary.
1: And this is John Swaddle. We are coming to you today from the campus of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. This season consists of stories, insights, and ideas from three engaging women working in conservation. We hope that sharing their stories helps to raise awareness of the need for gender equity and to promote actions that break down barriers to ensure that women are represented and involved in decision-making in all levels of conservation.
0: And this is Ann Turner, your host for Trailblazing Women in Conservation and I am a 2022 William & Mary graduate. Today, I will be speaking with Jill Tiefenthaler, the current CEO of the National Geographic Society. Previously, she was the president of Colorado College for nine years, where she led the college's efforts to achieve carbon neutrality, and she has also been the provost of Wake Forest. Additionally, Jill has studied at St. Mary's College, where she received her bachelor's in economics. From there, she went to study at Duke University, where she obtained her master's and doctoral degrees in economics. And I am super excited to have her here today. I see that you started your career in economics, and that has led to becoming the first female CEO of the National Geographic Society, which is awesome. Thank you. And one of the most well known conservation organizations. While conservation is an inherently interdisciplinary field, what motivated you to work in conservation and take up your current position?
1: You know, it, I spent my entire most of my career in higher education. And throughout all that time, I was always looking for organizations that really shared my values, um, which included a commitment to mission and impact, excellence, um, building community. Um, and dedication to advancing meaningful change. And so even though National Geographic seemed like quite a different type of organization, it really met all those goals. And um, throughout my time in higher ed, the growing um, climate crisis was something that I started to care more and more about um, when I was at Colorado College. We became, I think, the eighth campus in the country to be um, net zero, and um, it was a real passion of mine, and, and I know a real passion of my students. Um, and so the opportunity to use many of the skills that I developed in higher education, but bring those to such an urgent and pressing problem at an organization that I thought really you know, was making a difference, but maybe even had the capacity to do more was really exciting.
0: Yeah, National Geographic is definitely a great organization to be a part of to make a difference, especially with the climate crisis going on.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, part of what National Geographic does is um, direct conservation, but we also, because of our platforms in the media, you know, television, magazine, digital, also have an opportunity to influence, have influence, and illuminate the issues um, and educate. Um, as well as have direct impact. And um, that's something that also got me really excited because I sometimes feel like the people who are making change are talking to each other. So the opportunity to really talk to a broader audience across not only our country, but also the world, I think is um, was also an exciting platform.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Being able to have a platform to talk about the issues that you want to See change in is definitely a great way to get others more involved in the issue and that's also part of the reason why I'm talking to you today because mm-hmm. it's important to get more women involved in the field of conservation absolutely. so having these conversations are a great way to do it
1: yes uh, yeah absolutely and i you know I'm glad you're doing it to encourage um, more young people and women in particular and BIPOC um, people in the united states to be more involved and in, and then people around the globe to be more involved is is what we need more voices at the table.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I was wondering if you notice gender inequities in the field of conservation, as right now, only about 30.8% of the field identifies as female. So there's definitely a gender gap in play.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, you know, I have seen that in the past, even though, um, you know, indirectly working in the field, um, and have come to learn since I, Join the society, being the first woman. Um, I'm not unusual, I think, in, in um, many conservation organizations, which have had very few, if any, women leaders. Um, and as you, your statistics showed, that happens throughout the organization. Um, but I'm really thrilled at National Geographic that um, over 60% of our staff are women. And actually um, over that, about 65% of our leadership team are women now. Um, at National Geographic, which is exciting. And and I've gotten to know other women leaders in the field. And, you know, it's so important because we know all the research over time tells us that diverse teams um, are the most effective ones. And, you know, we've got big issues to tackle. And so bringing more voices to the table that can bring lots of different perspectives and really collaborate is what we're going to need to make the difference we need to make in the next decade.
0: Yeah, the more voices, the better are definitely needed to tackle issues at such a global scale. Absolutely. So I was wondering if you've noticed any systemic barriers that may challenge women's, quote unquote, rise to the top in conservation, some more leadership CEO positions, because as we mentioned earlier, you are the first woman at (laughs) um, woman CEO of National Geographic. And I'm sure that there are many other conservation organizations that haven't gotten there first yet either.
1: Right. I think that's definitely true. And, you know, um, I'm a labor economist and by training. And so this is um, something I think a lot about is sort of gender inequity in general in the in the workplace. And, you know, I think this year has uh, told us so much about the systemic barriers that women face in the labor market. As we've seen, you know, I think it's about two and a half million million women have left the overall um, labor market during the pandemic because of the incredible demands um, that we've seen on family, Um, you know, with kids at home and caregiving necessary for both kids and family members and just the incredible stress women have in trying to do it all. So I don't think it's, it's unique to conservation, but I do think, um, you know, we've got some issues to still tackle there and they've really come to the forefront during the pandemic. On the positive side, I feel like coming out of this and really having a conversation about how we have more flexible workplace and more work-life balance, something that's really totally in focus on all of our minds as we sort of face this new normal ahead of us, um, could really make a big difference as uh, making conservation more balanced in terms of gender equity, but also um, the entire um, workforce.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coming into this new normal, I think is a great way to start and spark change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, everything is sort of on the table now. So it's a great time for people to speak up and have impact um, as we figure out what that new normal looks like.
0: Yeah. So specifically for your career, have you personally experienced any sort of gender equity, either during your time in conservation or academia or economics?
1: Yeah, you know, a lot over my lifetime. So when I um you know, I had this really fortunate experience in college where I went to a women's college, Saint Mary's at Notre Dame in Indiana. And um you know, when I was there there were no women's majors versus men majors. You know, everything, there were so many opportunities for women to lead and to have their voice in the classroom. So when I left St. Mary's as an economics major and on to graduate school at Duke, I never even dreamt that, uh, you know, I would be one of two women in my class at graduate school um, and really saw a different side of of economics. And that was very few women, even today, you know, only about 25% of PhDs in economics are women. And so um, in terms of equity, you know, it was just One of those, you know, of course, there's always some of the sort of sexual harassment kind of things I think women have faced today, certainly, and we faced them a lot um, back then as well. Um, And also just sort of the feeling like you had a seat at the table, right, that you your voice was heard. So, um, you know, I, I went on to Colgate. I was the first woman tenured in the economics department there and the first woman chair again you know, with just, uh, very few women in the discipline and in the department. And again, it was, um, you know, always sort of being, um, people went to great efforts, you know, to, to make you feel included, but it does always feel like, you know, you're, you're having to prove at those days, having to prove yourself. Um, and also I went on to be the first provost woman, provost at wake forest, then before becoming, um, at to cc and when i arrived at colorado college there'd been one woman president before me and it was so amazing how her previous um success and her own um you know breaking the glass ceiling made my life um so much easier and i often think about how we all need to do that right now for this next generation because the more women that um you know, blaze the trail. The more it it's the it's more open for those that follow.
0: Yeah, and you've definitely had a lot of firsts yourself. So it'll be awesome to see a couple years down the line how you sort of paving that path for other women makes a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important um, that uh, we all pay it forward, and that means in this field now reaching out and helping to give women, young women and women who are um, in conservation, new leadership opportunities.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So for any barriers that you might have experienced in your career, what are some ways that you navigated or overcame them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important, um, you know, to to have allies, to have good mentors, I'd say one of the most important things in my career is having has been having really good mentors, um, and some of them have been women and many have been men. Um, and so, being open to um, building those relationships, learning from those others, um, and you know, getting that good advice when you need it. Right, having a, a group of people you can call on and get support. Um, And also advice and help you talk through things has really made a huge difference to me. Building a support network outside of your organization, I think, is a a really important thing to do as well. People you can bounce things off of and um, get feedback from. um, And also, you know, a group of people you can laugh with and share those bad stories. So you realize it's not just you, right? (laughs) Sometimes it really is about the system, not about you. Um, And then, you know, it was we were talking about before that mentoring in my own life and making such a big difference, having great mentors, um, you know, making sure we're also good mentors to those that are coming up behind us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So kind of taking a step back and looking at your career, what Mm -hmm. would you tell your younger self?
1: You know, I think one of the things I would tell myself is you deserve the seat at the table. Right. I think one of the hardest things for a lot of women is this imposter syndrome of sort of always feeling like you don't quite belong or, you know, you don't really deserve it and always having to prove yourself. And so um, I wish I've gotten there now, but I wish that earlier in my career um, that I would have felt that that confidence that it took me years to build.
0: Yeah, that confidence is super important. In my free time, I'm a musician, so imposter mm-hmm. syndrome is something that you experience a lot in the music world. So it's mm-hmm. definitely been interesting to see how that carries over to the business world as well and into conservation.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you see in music, and it's hard to do your best and be your best um, when you don't have that confidence that you belong.
0: Yeah, Exactly. So, have you noticed the field of conservation become more inclusive since you began? Maybe you can also touch on economics as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, I think the, so, you know, I started my career decades ago. And so things have um, definitely um, become much more inclusive, uh, whether it be in economics, academia. And I, you know, certainly think the same is, although I've only been directly in the field for a year, I think the same is true in conservation. Um, We've got a long way to go um, on inclusivity in general. Um, But I think we, despite that fact, we don't want to deny and celebrate that there's real progress that's been made. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of that's, you know, because of those uh, bold women who, who were the first and that next group, it's a little easier and then a little easier. Um, And, you know, as women, we're talking about, you know, our mentoring and, and paying it forward by supporting other women, um, I think that's helped to make the um, environment more inclusive. I do, you know, And I also think just our overall um, focus on society, really focusing on the racial reckoning of the past year has also really doubled down on uh, focusing on the importance of inclusion broadly. And um, I think that's going to make a better workplace and a better conservation field for, for everyone.
0: So. What do you think is really needed to break down these barriers to entry to get more women to join and advance in the field of conservation?
1: You know, I think it's new programs and opportunities. You know, we're doing we do some great programs at National Geographic um, to bring more um, women and people from underrepresented groups into the field. Um, we have a something called Second Assistant um, where um, photographers who um, come from underrepresented areas are um, brought in and given an opportunity to do wildlife video and photography a nature photography with some of our very best um, explorers that are out there and photographers are out there in the field. So, you know, I think a big part of it is awareness of all the opportunities there are there um, that are out there. And then, you know, representation matters. I, I saw that in my own career that, you know, seeing seeing people like you um, doing work and being respected and succeeding um, will bring more people into the field. And so I think we have to just continue to not only um, bring more women and people of color into the field, but um, talk about that, um, illuminate those contributions that they make, and that will make a difference in the future.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Bringing it back again to elevating voices and seeing someone that looks like you definitely helps it seem achievable to the fact that you can make it in this field because it's so much easier if you look up to, you know, upper level positions and you see a woman or someone that looks like you and you go, oh, I can do that too.
1: That's right. A lot of women have told me that in my both a time as a college president, but also um, in this job over the last year. That seeing a woman um, succeed, but also, you know, I was also, I'm a mother of two and seeing a woman who also had children and was a mom be able to do it and be able to balance it is encouraging. So I, I think it does, it really does matter. Role models matter.
0: Moving on from there, what recommendations would you have to help and encourage women to enter the conservation profession?
1: Historically, we achieve a lot of our mission at National Geographic um, to illuminate and protect the wonder of the world through our explorers. And we have explorers all over the world who are receiving funding from National Geographic to um, lead conservation and um, education and science projects as, as well as storytelling projects um, around the globe. And we're really excited now that today our explorers are about half women Um, And back to our our conversation about representation, um, to see these powerful, audacious uh, women explorers out there across the globe, um, I know means so much to young women. And we have this program, which I love, called Explore in the Classroom, where our explorers are beamed into classrooms, and we have thousands of kids who get to watch them or ask questions um, live as they're talking about their research. And um, for for those kids to see all these amazing women, um, whether they be an oceanographer or um, a a primate specialist, or they're doing conservation of wildlife in Africa, um, is incredibly empowering.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome to be able to get these experts into the classroom to talk to younger students because interest in STEM fields really does start when you're younger.
1: It absolutely does. And, you know, as you probably know, sometimes by the time you get to college or later in college, it's almost too late. to. And so you want them to fall in love with these fields and science and the commitment early on. So when
0: we're tackling an issue like the health of our planet, Diversity of perspectives is so important when making these integrative decisions that will affect a wide demographic of people. And so if we were to improve gender equity in conservation, what benefits do you think we would see for the profession and just for conservation and the health of the earth in general?
1: Well, I mean... you know, number one, I think exactly what you said is um, kind of summarizing a lot of the things we talked about um, so far is one, just more voices, difference of opinion, different ideas. The best ideas come from diverse teams. um, And to have all those voices at the table is absolutely necessary for excellence. So, So that's really critical. But then, you know, the other point is we'll We'll never bring more people on board if we don't um, if people don't see themselves in this movement. Um, And so, you know, I really do believe not only seeing um, more women in the field, but more women from um, underrepresented groups, more indigenous people, um, more people of color um, is so important. More people from developing nations that voices are lifted up will make it. Um, a huge difference as well. So, you know, how, you know, I think the the most, you know, how do women really matter in bringing more women into the into conservation is that because they've been excluded, right? And as long as people are excluding, we're missing out on some of the the very best resources, the very best ideas, the very best talent.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really interesting when you sit back and look at the issue of the fact that we need more women in conservation so that other women can see women in conservation to to get more people in there. So it's kind of this reoccurring feedback loop that isn't going to change until different corporations really make an effort to start recruiting more women into their programs.
1: Absolutely. We need to, we need to think differently about what a conservationist looks like and who she is, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I think you've answered most of the questions that I have for us today, but, I do have one final question. What is one thing that you are hopeful or looking forward to in the future?
1: You know, I'm really looking forward to getting out there and exploring. (laughs) There's so much beauty in our world. And um, I've only been in this role since um, post-pandemic. And um, we have, I mentioned, so many fascinating people doing interesting work. Um, And I've met many of them on Zoom, but every year we have an Explorers Festival and we had to have it virtually this year where we bring some of our great explorers um, here to campus and hear about their work and have workshops and share with each other. So I'm just so excited to be be energized by this community um, of, of committed people because I know it's gonna give me some of the oomph I need to lead this incredible organization.
0: Yeah, I think many people will agree with the sentiment of that they can't wait to get back
1: out there. Absolutely.
0: We would like to thank Planet Women and our guests, Jill Tiefenthaler, Nicole Esters, and Christine Wilkinson for making this season possible. And a special thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in.
1: This episode of the Conservation Stories podcast is produced by Ann Turner and Dorothy Ebis, for the William & Mary Institute for Integrative Conservation.
0: To learn more about the IIC, this podcast, or Conservation at William & Mary, please visit our website at wm.edu conservation or email us at iic@wm.edu. at wm.edu. We look forward to hearing from you soon.